Over the last few Sundays, we have been involved in a brief series called Cultural Prodigals. And today we're turning to look at Peter, and we are turning to John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. So if you have your Bible, turn right to the last chapter of John's Gospel, 21. You'll find it on page 1688, page 1688 of the Church Bible, and we're reading together verses 15 through 19. context of the passage is the disciples have been out fishing all night long. They have caught nothing, and Jesus calls to them from the shore. Peter, in recognizing it is Jesus, dives into the water and swims ashore, and when the other disciples eventually get back to the shore, this conversation ensues. So that's what's happened so far in the chapter. We come to verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Over the next few weeks, most of us, of course, will enjoy the weeks of summer. Some of us will go to the beach with children and grandchildren. Others of us will head up into the mountains. Some of us will take our children and grandchildren to the latest blockbuster movie that is shown. Some of us will have friends and family over for barbecue and we will enjoy the summer months together. Memories will be made. And it may be for a child in your family, they will learn to jump from the diving board this summer. For others, they will learn to swim, ride their bicycle. And others come Thanksgiving and Christmas will look back as they gather around the dining table to this summer. summer. And some of your children and grandchildren will say, do you remember in summer when granddad said... And it's a memorable moment when you got it all wrong and the family will love to remind you about it and smile at your expense. And others will say, do you remember when mum said, and of course there'll be laughter and no one will need to explain it because it's imprinted on the corporate memory of your family. Summer 
makes memorable occasions. And my question this morning is this. Why do we have John chapter 21? Why is it so memorable that John could not leave it out of his gospel? What is so significant? What is deep and profound and overwhelmingly impactful that John simply put it in there at the end of his gospel? And the reason I'm saying that is this. That John's gospel is different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You are well educated enough in New Testament studies to know that they are called the synoptic gospels, seen through the same optic. But John is different, very different in fact. Not only does he begin with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, in the opening chapters of John's Gospel, there's no mention of wise men or Bethlehem or a census. Herod, shepherds, angelic appearances and predictions. None of that appears in John's Gospel. And in fact, John's Gospel is so different that he begins with a series of dialogue, engagements, interaction between Jesus and another individual. And in chapter 3, you have that well-known passage, famous passage, between Jesus and Nicodemus. When Nicodemus, as a religious leader, comes to him and says, now help me understand what you're talking about when it comes to having a relationship with the living God. And Jesus says to him, Unless you are born again, born from within, you can never know God in all of his intimacy and wonder and matchless glory. And that's in chapter 3. And when you move to chapter 4, there's another situation of Jesus with the lady in Samaria. She's drawing water and he asks for a drink. And then in chapter 5, you have the healing of the man who had been crippled all of his life there in Bethesda. At the end of his gospel, you have the story of Thomas who says categorically, I will not believe unless I see the holes in his hands and the wound and his side. And in those early chapters and in the closing chapters, John focuses on people, real people, people who have been impacted by the gospel. The love of God has transformed and molded and fashioned them, and they've never been the same again. And as John finishes his gospel, please hear me when I say this. I'm going out in a bit of a limb here because I don't find too many New Testament scholars willing to support the thesis I'm about to share with you, but I cannot help wonder if at the end of John chapter 20, right after 
Jesus' interaction with Thomas when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, look at verse 30 of chapter 20. And I would like to suggest this, that this was John's initial closing of his gospel. And he writes, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. Period. What a wonderful way to conclude the gospel. What a perfect summary. You have in those verses... Many of the famous phrases and particular words that John uses throughout his gospel. Jesus did many other miraculous signs that are not recorded in this book. And then he adds, but these are written, is one of his favorite words. That you may believe is another favorite phrase. That Jesus is the Christ, another, the Son of God that runs throughout his gospel. And that by believing Another of his words, believing you may have life in his name. More of his favorite phrases. So the question is this. If that was John's initial conclusion and summary, why chapter 21? What was so important he couldn't leave it out? Well, let me suggest this. John records in great detail all that happened in the hours leading up to Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. He records with spectacular clarity the arrest, trial, torture, crucifixion, and the overwhelming sadness and grief of the disciples over that Easter weekend. Then, of course, he focuses on Easter Sunday and he lays it all out for us. So why John 21? Well, I suspect for this reason. The passage tells us that what took place took place at the Sea of Tiberias, 75 miles north of Jerusalem. They're no longer in Jerusalem. Back home, most of the disciples came from northern Galilee in and around Capernaum. Certainly Peter, brother Andrew. Jesus spent most of his adult ministry based there in Capernaum. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the disciples go out and they fish all night long. Now remember who they were. These are professional fishermen. They knew those waters like the back of their hand. Fished all night, caught nothing. And then as the dawn came up, Jesus is standing at the shore and he calls out to them, friends, have you any fish? They say, no. He says, throw your nets on the right-hand side of the boat and you will catch some. And that's exactly what happens. And one of the disciples says to Peter, it is the Lord. And Peter dives into the water, swims to the shore, and eventually the others come back to the shore. In fact, they had a net so full, John's gospel tells us it was about to break. They had 153 fish. It was overwhelming. 
And by the time they pull the net ashore, they walk up to where Jesus was. There was a fire there, some fish. And here was Peter and Jesus. And a conversation begins. Now hold that thought for a second. Let me really encourage you to use your imagination. I began by saying these summer months, great, wonderful family and personal memories will be made. But imagine what it would be like if over the next couple of weeks you had a family dinner and you invited the Apostle John. And once you get over the sheer excitement of having John come and sit at your table. Perhaps he's been outside helping himself to barbecue. You're sitting on the porch maybe or out there on the deck. And the conversation begins. And you know, of course, the conversation will become quiet fairly quickly because everyone wants to hear what John has to say. And at some point, I suspect someone will say, John, I hope you don't mind me asking. But tell us, what is your lasting memory of Jesus? But please remember, John was in his late 80s, 89, 90, 91, when he wrote his gospel. The others had written 25 and 30 years before. John was a youngster, early to mid-twenties, when he was a disciple of Christ. And he was one of his closest friends. Can you imagine John saying, well, most of it, you know, I've already, I've written it in the Gospels. And you say, but is there one thing that stands out? Just one thing above everything else. What is it? And John says, well, you know, in those very, very early days, when we were just getting to know him, do you know there was one occasion when, and then he relates to you, what happened? And as the conversation develops and each person is asking questions, I wonder if he'd take us to John 21. And I wonder if he'd take us to verse 15. And notice how it begins. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Do you truly love me? Now you know, of course, there will be a nervous tension amongst the disciples around that fire. That would be an awkward moment. Because the last time that we're aware of, well, not quite, but almost the last time, when Peter was asked about Jesus by a wee servant girl in Pilate's forecourt, when Peter was warming himself at the fire, and she said to him, Now, I, I recognize you. And Peter begins to back off. And she says, Yes, it's, it's the accent. I remember, you're a Galilean, you, you know him, you're one of his closest friends. And Peter denies knowing him, not once, not twice, 
three times. Now Jesus is asking the question. Peter, do you love me more than these? More than what? Was Jesus pointing to the fish? Was he pointing to the other disciples? Was he saying to them in some subtle manner, Peter, you're back fishing. What are you doing? Peter, why are you going out fishing? I have plans and hopes for you. You cannot imagine. Peter, have you any idea what is taking place here? Peter, look up. Expand your mind. Understand what has happened. But he doesn't see any of that. Because it has become far too serious for that. And there is only one question. And he asks him three times. Do you love me? And if Peter felt uncomfortable, unnerved, uncertain, when we gather around this table in a few moments' time, the same question will be asked. Of you and I. Do you love me? We'll be reminded that his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And the question is simple and it's straightforward. But it makes us uneasy, unnerved, unsettled, seriously uncomfortable. Because there's nowhere to go. We can't hide on a morning like this. The question is, do you? Love me. He's not asking how often you come to worship on Sunday morning. He's not asking do you serve as an elder or a deacon. He's not asking can you conduct a service, lead an orchestra, participate in the choir, play a musical instrument spectacularly. That's not the question. The question is, do you love me? A threefold denial needs a threefold confession. And please notice the other thing. In this passage, three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Not once does he call him Peter. Not once. Now, way back, Three years earlier, in the opening chapter of John's Gospel, when Andrew brings Peter and introduces him to Jesus, Jesus looks at him and says, You are Simon, but you will be Peter. You will be Peter. Words of creative, sustaining authority and transformation. You are, but by my grace, you will be leader of the apostolic band. Leader of the Christian movement. Disciple, apostle, close friend of Jesus. Author of two New Testament epistles. You are, but by my grace. Grace, you will be. 
And this morning, that's the message we remember through bread, broken, wine, poured, because he then and today looks at us and says, you are mine. And I love you with an everlasting love. And I will not abandon you. Whatever you're going through, I can deal with. Whatever challenges you are facing, you are. But by my enabling grace, you will be. So why does he not refer to him as Peter? Had Jesus forgotten? Did it slip his mind? No. He was reminding him of the man he used to be. That is why it's so memorable. That's why it's right here in John 21. At the end of his gospel, John is leaving the greatest question to the end. And this morning, let me ask you, do you love him? Love him. Peter was reminded of the man he used to be. And without Christ, he was no one. And going nowhere. And Peter would be the first to tell you that. Peter understands the enormity and the magnitude of denying Christ. And please hear me. There will be moments in each of our lives. When we will find ourselves challenged. And we will be challenged to take a stance for Christ. Or to deny him. Someone in the office says, Did you see that on Netflix last night? And begins to explain to you a movie that is just junk. Filled with moral nonsense and degradation. You watch it for 10 minutes and think, good night, and change to something else. And everyone's enjoying the movie. The next day in the office, they're telling about it. They're saying, did you see it? Can you imagine? And they're getting involved. What do you say? How do you respond without feeling foolish, prudish, narrow-minded, Somehow extreme. Because folks, please understand this. That when society and culture begin to attack a Christian stance, the two main things they will always do is make you feel irrelevant and extreme. Just for having a moral standard for refusing to go along. And deep in the recesses of your mind and heart and soul, you'll hear the question, do you love me? Are you willing to take a stance? Do you want to be mine? Are you willing to follow me? That's why John left it to the end. He finishes on the high point. And notice how he closes. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? 
And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And right at the end, verse 19, he says, follow me. What memories will you have this summer? Will they be memories of standing graciously, gently, but firmly for Christian values and standards? Will those memories be filled with moments when you've gone deeper in your faith? Those intimate, spectacular, momentous occasions when you've been caught up in prayer, just you and the Lord. And you hear him saying, come, follow me. Reach and recalibrate your deepest affections. And come and follow me. There is no experience like it. And that's why John leaves it to the end. And this morning as we gather around this table, we're asked the same question. Will you, this summer, follow me? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this remarkable passage of Scripture. And as we come this morning to the Lord's table, remind us once again of your incredible love for us. Speak to us. Comfort us. Strengthen us challenge us for we ask it in Jesus name